Chapter six of sixteenth century Bristol by John Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six. Although surrounded by extensive coal fields, Bristolians of all classes long preferred the use of wood as fuel timber being extremely cheap owing to the vast extent of kingswood and other neighbouring forests the winter of fifteen seventy however was exceptionally rigorous and through the difficulties of transit caused by heavy snowstorms the dearth of wood occasioned extreme distress the corporation consequently ordered in several hundred horse-loads of stone coal to the intent to bring down prices and though there was some loss on the transaction great relief was afforded to the poor charcoal was the only fuel purchased for the council house for upwards of a century afterwards the common council in fifteen seventy one were called upon to consider the case of an impoverished member of the body and adopted a singular expedient for his relief the following item occurs in the chamberlain's receipts received of john lacy mercer in part payment of ten pounds fine for that he should continue a burgess being dismissed of the common council until he may be hereafter called to the common council again when he shall be of better ability five pounds as the remainder of the fine was never paid it may be inferred that mr lacy did not recover his position the first record of a violently contested election of members of parliament for the city occurs in the spring of fifteen seventy one the question involved in the struggle was one of deep interest to the trading classes generally in the last previous parliament in fifteen sixty six the society of merchant venturers has succeeded in obtaining an act forbidding any citizen excepting members of the society or persons who had served an apprenticeship of seven years to a merchant from trafficking in merchandise beyond the seas upon pain or forfeiture of all the goods so imported or exported the monopoly thus established excited great discontent amongst a numerous body of tradesmen who had been accustomed to make small foreign adventures as well as amongst the workmen employed by them and what was still more significant the common council which for centuries had been dominated by the mercantile interest revolted against it and supported the agitation of the burgesses no details in reference to the election have been preserved except that the contest was violent and protracted but the return of the recorder as one of the members clearly marked the defeat of the merchants society the corporation followed up this success by appealing to lord berkeley for a repeal of the act declared to be injurious to the trade of the city and a bill to that effect was read a first time at the fifth sitting of the house of commons passed through all its stages in both houses in despite of a vigorous resistance and received the royal assent in consequence of the struggle the common council appears to have been the scene of frequent virulent disputes during the year ending michaelmas fifteen seventy 
1572, the following receipts occur in the audit book. Received of Mr. Snide for calling Mr. John Jones, knave in his ear, 13 shillings for dimes. Received of Mr. Langley, MP, for saying to Mr. Saxey, you believe me, 20 shillings. Received of Mr. Robert Taylor, merchant, for abusing Mr. Thomas Colston with contemptuous words, six shillings eight dimes received of mr robert cable for abusing mr richard cole six shillings eight dimes strange to say no ancient copy of the act restoring freedom of trade to bristolians is to be found in the city and not even the slightest allusion to the statute is made in any of the local chronicles or in the histories of barrett sire evans price and nichols only the title of the measure a bill for bristow is given in the statutes at large but it is of course duly registered in the chancery rolls during the stuart dynasty merchants societies made many efforts to procure its repeal, and the corporation again submissive to mercantile influences were generally zealous in supporting the would-be monopolists but the costly exertions proved virtueless and were finally abandoned in despair all the markets in the city were at this time held in one or other of the principal streets but the inconvenience of dealing in flour and meal in the open air during wet weather induced the common council in fifteen seventy two to order the construction of a special building for the sale of those articles the site chosen was a piece of vacant ground entered through a freestone gateway in wine street towards the expense of the building which cost about two hundred and fifty pounds the vestry of christ church made a donation of ten pounds and a further sum of over thirty pounds was extracted from two soap makers the bristol merchants had at this period acquired a large trade in the mediterranean and olive oil being largely imported by them they had induced the corporation to pass an ordinance prohibiting the manufacture of soap made of tallow or fish oil owing to the costliness of the foreign material the ordinance was frequently evaded but mr william yate a soap maker whose dwelling closely adjoined the new meal market having been detected in boiling tallow was now fined thirteen pounds six shillings eight dimes for his infraction of the edict whilst another manufacturer is alleged to have given twenty pounds of his good will an assertion of doubtful credibility seeing that he was fined ten pounds in the following year for boiling trenny oil the meal market was for many years set apart during the annual great fair for the accommodation of the numerous goldsmiths from london and elsewhere who attended to exhibit their wares in the troubled times of the following century it seems to have been converted into a guard-house for soldiery the fine freestone gateway referred to above still remained and was well known to every citizen until its removal in eighteen eighty one 
the crown of the arch bore the letter w and the device of a gate from which the surname yate was derived one walker the miller of brandon hill turns up in the civic accounts for fifteen seventy three having paid a trifle fine for breaking into the city pound and rescuing his horse contrary to law the wooden windmill which stood on the summit of the hill was then a new structure having been erected by william reed town clerk who had obtained a sixty years lease of brandon hill from the corporation in fifteen sixty four at a rent of one pounds six shillings eight dimes only a few years later in fifteen eighty one both the civic body and its lessee were thrown into consternation by the property being claimed on behalf of the crown a discovery had in fact been made that a small plot of ground on the top of the hill had been given by robert earl of gloucester to tewkesbury abbey when he founded st james's priory but had escaped appropriation on the suppression of the monasteries doubtless from its yielding no rent the men who wormed out these facts thereupon petitioned queen elizabeth for a grant of the ground as concealed crown land and this having been conceded to them at a fee farm rent of five shillings they demanded the estate from the corporation who were forced to buy their interest for the sum of thirty pounds as there is a common tradition that the queen granted brandon hill to the city as a place to dry clothes it may be added that the hill with the exception of the above plot had belonged to the corporation from time immemorable and that the right of free passage over it by the public and of user by washerwomen was formally recognised in a corporate document of fifteen thirty three before elizabeth was born the year fifteen seventy four was long memorable amongst bristolians for the magnificent entertainment of queen elizabeth during her progress through the western countries a visit had been anticipated in the summer of fifteen seventy but after the corporation in a panic at its neglect of the roads near newgate had laid out a large sum on repairs the queen altered her route the assurance of her arrival four years later induced the common council to make unprecedented exertions to gratify their pomp-loving sovereign it was in the first place resolved to raise funds by a general collection from the inhabitants which was doubtless effected by a rateable assessment the amount thus secured was five hundred and thirty five pounds one shilling seven dimes obtained as follows all saints ward a hundred and seventy three pounds ten shillings trinity ward a hundred and four pounds seven shillings mary Lee port ward ninety one pounds four shillings seven dimes st ewan's ward ninety four pounds seventeen shillings eight dimes redcliffe ward seventy one pounds two shillings four dimes a further sum of four hundred and fifty pounds was borrowed from charity funds to be repaid as speedily as convenient and the dean and chapter contributed five pounds thus supplied the authorities proceeded to paint and gild the high cross 
lawford's gate newgate and fumegate to order fifty-three lighter loads of sand for the purpose of levelling the streets to purchase nearly two tons of gunpowder to collect one hundred and thirty pieces of cannon to enrol four hundred infantry clothed in the city uniform and to make various other provisions for her majesty's entertainment the queen arrived on august the fourteenth after making a preliminary halt at st lawrence's hospital for the purpose of changing her travelling dress for more gorgeous apparel her majesty advanced to norford's gate where she was received by the mayor and common council whose mouthpiece the recorder addressed her in the extravagantly flattering terms in which she delighted and presented her with a splendid purse containing one hundred pounds in gold the gay procession then started and after a brief stop at the high cross where some pleasant sights were showed and another at the grammar school in christmas street where the boys poetical orations were so lengthy that they were brusquely cut short the royal visitor reached the great house on st augustine's back the newly furnished mansion of mr john young which had been prepared for her reception her arrival being saluted by deafening peals of cannon and musketry the queen remained in the city a week and those desirous of details respecting the amusements offered her consisting mainly of sham fighting on a land where water and tedious rhymes twaddled by a man named churchyard may be referred to nicholas's progress and other works her majesty rewarded her host with the honour of knighthood the corporate outlay during the visit was one thousand and fifty three pounds fourteen shillings eleven dimes of which amounted thirty-seven pounds were demanded by royal officers including the yeomen of the bottles for their fees the visit of queen elizabeth to bristol subsequently involved the corporation in an expenditure that appears to have been much begrudged it is probable that when the recorder who lived at wellington near taunton travelled hither to take part in the queen's reception advantage was taken of the opportunity to hold the annual gaol delivery at all events when elizabeth arrived nine prisoners condemned to death were lying in newgate and on the queen becoming acquainted with the fact she intimated her intention of pardoning them as a special act of grace the royal word however did not satisfy the requirements of the law which could be met only by a formal instrument under the great seal and the lord chancellor and his subordinates forthwith came down upon the corporation for the customary fees amounting to over fourteen pounds the disgusted civic body had no alternative but to pay their money but partially recouped itself by appealing for the assistance of the parish churches by which eight pounds thirteen shillings four dimes were brought in while the bishop of gloucester who held the see of bristol in commandam forwarded a personal donation of two pounds thirteen shillings four dimes thus reducing the civic outlay to a trifling sum the year fifteen seventy five was marked by a terrible visitation of plague which broke out immediately after the great fair in july 
and continued its ravages for six months contemporary analysts assert that the victims numbered upwards of one thousand nine hundred but the figures are probably much exaggerated four ex-mayors three of whom were aldermen were however carried off the virulence of epidemics in bristol as in other old towns was doubtless largely attributable to the unhealthy supply of water chiefly drawn from wells in close proximity to the parochial burial grounds most of which were in crowded localities limited in area and reeking with putidity the quay pipe was supplied from an abundant spring the so-called boiling well at ashley but a large portion of the long conduit was unprotected and the chamberlain was insistently called upon to remove the obstructions in covered pipe caused by the bodies of dead cats thus in december fifteen seventy four he enters paid for taking three cats out of the key pipe where one was two yards long five days five shillings six dimes the pestilence caused on this occasion a general prostration of local trade and the depression was seriously aggravated by unprecedented disasters at sea in november fifteen seventy six the chamberlain was dispatched to london with a supplication to the queen representing the decay of the city and the lamentable condition of its merchants through the recent loss of eleven ships and five barks no inconsiderable proportion of the entire shipping of the port which according to an official report drawn up by the customs officers numbered only forty-four vessels in fifteen seventy two the petition was presented by lord leicester but the applicants met with no warmer consolation than that the queen was very sorry the commerce of bristol did not recover from these disasters for upward of thirty years an audacious act of piracy was committed in the avon in july fifteen seventy seven by a gang of sailors and ruffians who took forcible possession of a small dungarvan vessel lying at peel robbed several other ships laden with goods for the fair and eventually sailed off with their booty how an alarm was raised does not appear but the record states that the pirates were pursued by lord leicester's flibote whatever that may have been with a crew of sixty armed men and that the villains dreading capture landed at start point when all but four managed to escape those apprehended were tried at the gull delivery in september when three were sentenced to death and one says the chamberlain was saved by his book an expression perfectly intelligible to every reader eight years ago but now requiring explanation in the middle ages the ordinary criminal courts could not pass sentence on a felon traitors excepted who claimed to be in holy orders and who was amenable only to an ecclesiastical tribunal and as practically everyone except the priest was then illiterate it became an established point in legal practice that a prisoner was to be deemed a cleric if he were able to read a certain verse vulgarly known as the neck verse in the book of psalms 
the unreasoning conversatism of the legal profession has perhaps no better illustrated than the fact that the above privilege commonly known as benefit of clergy was not abolished till eighteen twenty seven although long before that date nearly every description of felony had been exempted from the relief by successive acts of parliament and a thief might be hanged for stealing twelve pence farthing it may be added that criminals known to be laymen were entitled to the benefit only once and that to secure their conviction for a second offence they were seared on the thumb for the first with a red-hot iron only a few weeks before the trial of the above pirates there is the following item in the civic accounts paid a smith for making iron cuffs set in the guild hall behind the prisoner's bar for the burning of persons in the hand two shillings six dimes to return to the three convicts the corporation believing that seafaring malefactors needed an impressive warning resolved on hanging and gibbeting the criminals on cannon's marsh at the junction of the avon and Froom, and in view of every passing vessel the bodies being suspended so low that they were immersed at every high tide the carpenter's wages for making the gibbet were still only one shilling per day and those of two apprentices one shillings two dimes a civic payment made to a travelling dramatic company in october fifteen seventy seven is of some interest to students of elizabethan literature inasmuch as it mentions the name of the play then performed the record also indicates for the first time that the entertainment took place in the evening paid my lord of leicester's players and for links to give light in the evening the play was called mango one pounds two shillings the audit book of the following year shows that six bands of comedians visited the city lord berkeley's players are stated to have performed what mischief worketh in the mind of man mr c howard's the illegible ethiopian the earl of suffolk's the court of comfort and the earl of bath's quid pro quo the players of the earl of derby and the lord chamberlain afterwards appeared on successive nights in one week but the chamberlain then and afterwards failed to note the pieces performed some excitement was caused in october fifteen seventy seven by the arrival in the port of two vessels under the command of the famous martin frobisher the ships according to the chroniclers had come direct from catay or cataya after a fruitless endeavour to discover a passage to india and china by the way of the arctic seas they brought home however a large quantity of ore esteemed to be very rich and full of gold and on information being sent to the government the privy council directed that the treasure should be lodged for safety in the castle until some specimens had been analysed the stone eventually proved worthless frobisher also brought three savages doubtless esquimaux clothed in deer skins but all of them died within a month of their arrival the virgin queen enters upon the twentieth year of her reign 
on november seventeenth fifteen seventy seven and the event was celebrated in bristol in a manner that manifested the loyalty and affection of the citizens the members of the corporation robed in scarlet repaired to the cathedral to hear the sermon a mode of attending service that became more and more in favour with the growth of puritanism and on returning from church five trumpeters from the cataya ships were engaged to head the civic procession and fill the air with martial music in the evening a great bonfire blazed before the high cross the demonstration was thenceforth repeated annually and was continued for many years after the queen's death the quays of the city being at this period in urgent need of repair a strange expedient for their cheap renovation was devised by the common council the first mention of the matter occurs in the audit book november fifteen seventy seven as follows paid the church wardens of st stephen's for one tombstone for the key wall four shillings immediately afterwards four large tombstones and five sledge loads of smaller stones headstones were extracted from st lawrence's church adjoining st john's and another large block was taken from a church not specified soon afterwards a ponderous stone requiring two brace of horses to drag it was removed from st lawrence's church and many similar abstractions are noted subsequently the ruined friaries were further drawn upon and a massive monument out of the demolished carmelite church was contributed by sir john young of the great house no reference to these desecrations is made by the analyst nor do they mention the closing of st lawrence's church of which the corporation were the patrons the deed annexing the parish to that of st john dated in march fifteen eighty asserts that the income of the former was only four pounds ten shillings which was insufficient to maintain a minister the church was converted into a warehouse its burial ground in christmas street is believed to be now covered by the premises recently built by messrs j s fry and sons End of chapter six